This episode was a lot of fun. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank Kevin for coming on. He put up with some technical difficulty before we got recording. And not only that, but it was a lot later where he was than where we were. So uh, thank you for hanging in there. It was a pleasure talking with him, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. I'd also like to thank everybody who decided to listen, who decided to download. It's always appreciated. We love hearing from you. We love getting feedback, so thank you for doing that. As you know, we do a value-for-value value system, so if you find value in the podcast, by all means, uh, try to throw some value back our way. There's a link in the description of the episodes. You can click on that and donate some money if you'd like to do that or get on, interact on social media. A matter of fact, if you could take a second and do two things. We just started a Facebook group, Just Tree Thinking. Get on there and post a picture of yourself at work or doing some work. I think that'd be awesome just to see how many different pictures of the people that actually listen to the podcast are on there. So take a second, go do that. Another thing is, if you like the video side of a podcast, go on to YouTube and follow us on the YouTube page. Go check it out. So if you take a second to do those two things, that will help out the podcast quite a bit. It'll be much appreciated by all of us. Anyways, we're going to take care of a little business, and then we'll get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast and will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. Not everyone can say they change the game. You have to be on the cutting edge of how it's done. Then, think outside the box. Add some competitive spirit and an entrepreneur's mentality. And in the end, you have a humble, down-to-earth tree guy who change the way a lot of us move around the canopy. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we get into preferred crew size, climbing with Canopy Watch, the Rope Runner Pro, and more. It was a joy to chop it up with a true game changer on Catching Up with Kevin Bingham. All right, we're back. Uh, this week, we are talking to somebody who's had a huge impact on our profession in many different ways. So I look in, look forward to this conversation. Uh, but before we get too far into it, I'm Andrew. Jamie. Nate. I'm Kevin. And uh, yeah, thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's uh, getting ready for this. Uh, conversation. I listened to a few of your other podcasts you've done, the educated climber, uh, the climbing arborist. And it was, it was just awesome listening to those conversations, you know, on those conversations, you really got into the story of the rope runner and the rope wrench. Uh, and I'm sure we'll refer back to those, you know, stories throughout this conversation potentially, but 
I don't want to just have the same conversation that I just listened to a couple times. <laughs> I, right. I want to kind of see what you're up to these days. Um, so yeah, what have you been up to these days? Well, the last um, year, I guess, kind of been dedicated to my little tree service. Uh, got a little group of a crew here. We're uh, four of us all together. And then my wife, she does the um, estimates and all the business side of everything. So she's, uh, I guess, the CEO. I'm the COO. So I basically try to chief of operations, I yeah. guess, <laughs> and try to keep everything going smoothly. Um, we've got a old uh, building that we sort of base out of, which is we've owned now about six or seven years. And most of the six or seven years, it's only had a half a roof. Um, and pours rain every time it rains and um so this year we put a new roof on it and now trying to get it reorganized and so i've been spending a lot of time sort of thinking about that and um you know getting the logistics going behind that as well as going out with the crew and kind of making making sure things are going somewhat smoothly yeah um so yeah that's been a big part of my last year um i feel like we've kind of cut a little bit of evolution at our tree service um well partly my wife has gotten a lot more involved and so she's made it a lot more serious I think. <laughs> <laughs> probably a good thing yeah <laughs> um, you know it's changed over the years since i first started now having i got three little kids um, so yeah, I have to take it a little bit more, more seriously and keep it, keep it running <laughs> all the time. <laughs> uh -huh. are, are you looking at growing it to a bigger company? I know that's one of those things, different guys have different kind of ideas of how they want to run their company and where they want to go. Um, and that's always, there's kind of these points where you grow to a point where you're comfortable and then all, all of a sudden you might have a storm or something that creates a bunch of work and it's easy to see dollar signs and hard to avoid that growth, but that can also be a challenge. Um, oh yeah. I think, I think my attitude the whole time has been to try to fight growth as much as possible. Just like hold it at bay yeah, and not let it get out of control. And I think I still have that mentality, um, but it is hard because yeah, we're, I mean, I think a lot of the tree services around here too, we're, we're booking out in April right now. Wow. Which is like crazy. I mean, that's the, that's a new experience for us for sure to be that far out. And, you know, that creates challenges too, because a lot of people don't want to wait around until April. And then, so you have, you filled up your schedule in April, but then people on the way cancel, they get other people to do it, you know, and then you're running around doing all these estimates and, um, you can only do so much amount of work. So, um, yeah, but then you think about growth and there's all kinds of things that go along with that. Like, where do you put all the stuff? Where do you, uh, you know, it's a whole new, you know, you have to get a whole new equipment for a whole nother crew. Uh, 
Yeah. So a lot of debt comes with growth. And that's one of those challenges is, you know, you might get more money coming in, but if you had to buy a new truck and a new chipper to, you know, get another crew out there, then is that yeah. money coming in going to just paying off debt? Yeah. that That's always a, a tricky one. Yeah. And theoretically, like it would bring in more money, but more headache, more employees, more, you know, so we'll see how it goes. I, my, my preference would be to just to keep it small and simple. Yeah. And just, uh, but it is, it's, it's a challenge, especially when you've got, you know, old clients that I've had for years and years. And um, now I'm telling them we can't get to them until April. And then, um, you know, it might not be me anymore that comes out to do the tree and they're expecting me to be the, the guy in the tree. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of that's been been weird um, over the last few years. I think I've been doing it more and more, but uh, just passing on the, you know, it's not me at the front of everything. It's also kind of cool to go to the job and like. Uh, the customer treats me just like another employee or doesn't know who. And, um, you know, I asked the foreman, Hey, what do you want me to do? Where would treat you want me to jump in? And since my wife has been doing the estimates, you know, she's, I haven't even seen the job, but, um, yeah, that's been, it's, it's kind of going around full circle again. I'm like just a, employee at a company again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. hopefully the client just doesn't <laughs> Google your name beforehand or something. <laughs> right. Then they'll know who you are. What what do you see as your ideal size to keep that quality control high, Kevin? Well I mean I like just a one simple crew is one is crew, nice. Hard enough for me. <laughs> yeah. But I, I you know it may be we actually did it over um at a point early in the summer we had like six people and we were kind of between the dump trailer, we have a dump trailer and the chip trailer. We were, we were basically running two crews. Um, but then it was sort of like a kind of patchwork t- together here and there. But I, I, I don't know. It's nice sort of having one, one crew. I have a friend, a uh, really close friend. He's, uh, and we started our companies right around the same time. Um, and, you know, at the Michigan comps for years and years, there was three of us in the Masters Challenge. It was me and Jack and Lucas. And uh, Jack, he started a company in Ann Arbor right around the same time that I did. But he's uh, kind of just let it go, you know, like he didn't fight growth at all. Like I've definitely um, pushed it back as much as possible. but. He's up to like 45 employees now. Oh, whoa. And like cranes and grapple trucks. And he bought another company in the middle of this. Also, he went from like 20 employees to 40 employees. And um, it's incredible. He's doing really well and he's, he's happy. He's really good at it too. But um, one of the things he says uh, is that he's no longer really a tree person, but more of a, um, a psychoanalyst and a, a, psych, a therapist <laughs> yeah. for 
you know, and he's, you've got 45 people that all have to figure out how to get along. And, you know, in the process of growing up and going through life changes and everybody's got issues. And um, yeah, so he's basically the guy that kind of holds everybody's <laughs> yeah. hand and, you know, you can do this. Yeah. We got your back. <laughs> um, you know, dealing with inner all the drama that comes with people spending nine hours a day together for every day. Yeah, that's to do. that. That's really tough. I've I've managed crew. The biggest crew I managed was about fourteen people. And wow. that was, uh, that was more than I'd want to do. I'm, I'm happiest if I have about, uh, two crews and five people, you know, yeah. you know, so that, that, that way you can have, you know, if it's five people, including me, then I've got the capacity for two, three man crews. And that, I think that a three man crew is a sweet spot for really getting work done, you know, but then yeah, if you yeah. have a big job, two, two people feels like you start getting overwhelmed. Yeah. Four people will start getting crowded. Yeah. Yeah, I think three 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 is definitely I mean it depends on what you're doing, but yeah. Yeah. Three person crews can do anything. Yeah, exactly. And and if you've got two three person crews, then when you get those big jobs, you can just kind of come together and swarm. You know, but if you don't have a big job, you can have just two power crews going out and getting work done. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what I always was most comfortable with. But yeah, my brother right now is is growing a company like that. I don't know that he's up to 40 right now, but I think he's got like five or six tree trucks going. And, uh, I don't know how many people are in it, but they're just pushing and they're hiring. I mean, everybody I know right now is hiring if, if, if yeah. you're a good climber, you know, so it's crazy what's going on in the tree world. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I think with the um, pandemic, a lot of people were, ended up going, you know, having to go home. They weren't going on their vacation. They were just hanging out at home. And so they're at their house, looking at their yard, kind of making those plants. Oh, oh, there's some deadwood up there. Well, if we remove this tree, then we can build a shed here. You know, whatever it is they're right. that, that money's going towards their house and not towards their vacations or their travels or food, you know, bars, restaurants, concerts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I don't know. Sure. It's been pretty crazy. So you're you're in Detroit, right, Kevin? Like Detroit, Detroit yep. proper. Uh, how was the? I mean, De- Emerald Ash Borer was that something you you guys dealt with? Oh yeah, that was uh, basically um, 2003 through 2007, 2008. Kind of was the last time I really got into. I, every once in a while, we'll do a ash tree here or there. You know, there's a few survivor ashes that. Oh, deadwood and you know a few trees that got treated that are um but yeah it was a good solid four years of just cutting down ash trees nonstop. and you know a lot of other places are going through that now you know yeah uh, new york and uh, virginia they're they're just starting to to see that yeah. come through but it was pretty crazy if i look back that's one we're really worried about here it hasn't got here yet but, you know, a lot of people feel like it's inevitable. And here we've just got these huge wetlands that are full of ash trees. I mean, you know. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're uh, in the in the middle of the Willamette Valley, which is, you know, just at the bottom of the valley. It's just tons of wetlands. And 
when when and if it gets here, it is going to hit hard, and I really do not look forward oh, to that. Terrible, yes. Yeah. Our native ash is called an Oregon ash, uh, Fraxinus latifolia, and apparently the studies that have been done on that say the the EAB likes them just as much as the green or the white. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I've heard too. Yeah, it was pretty traumatic just don't, watching this whole don't such move a fire huge weekend. part of the system disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think, I mean, just layering that on top of what happened to all the chestnuts, all the elms. Yeah. Yeah, we've had the Dutch elm hit here. Um, it It's not as bad as I was worried it would be. You know, there's still there's still a handful of elms around. Although I did remove a couple really big, beautiful elms, it was kind of a bummer to remove. But well, that's surprising to me also because I mean, I guess they grow really fast, but um, I still remove big. Like, how did this tree survive so long and get so big, and then all of a sudden succumb to yeah to it? But you know, they can hide out for a long time and then. Um, but they, they're, you know, they're still, they're still definitely ash trees, uh, elm trees around. I think the ashes are doing the same thing too. They're, they'll be sort of there and then they'll hit a point where, you know, I think the population has to be high enough for them to support, uh, epidemic of ash borer. Yeah. You know, when they came through. There was just so much food for them to eat that the ash borer just got up to huge, huge numbers. And then they all died. And then I I think the ash borer kind of is not around so much. Yeah. And some of the ash trees got lucky, basically, and either didn't get killed completely or um, were never even found to begin with. Yeah. And then it's interesting, too. I have a theory that if they've been attacked, but survive they get because the like they almost get partially girdled by the um passages that they carve in the trunk yeah but then the whole cambium gets like modeled and warped uh like layered in a way that makes it seem to me that it would be harder to actually girdle it um interesting i don't know that's sort of a theory i have because some there's some trees that have obviously been hit but not didn't get completely wiped out, and then they've gotten hit again and not completely wiped. And they're strong trees, so they've become sort of a different, you know, no longer this straight, uh, awesome ash tree, but a little bit like modeled and really crazy bark structure. What's the character? <laughs> what do you mean by harder to girdle? Like they're just focusing on certain sections of the bark hard and then leave well, the rest yeah, so of the... like if, if they've already if the ash the the boar has already like made it a quarter of the way around and then it uh then the next season comes along and then you've got a, a layer of cambium that's grown over that bark so it's like different it's like more three-dimensional like it's hard to describe but if you look at the the tree like you can see where it uh, the passages went through and then it's started to callus over. And then in another area, it'll be like, you know, the, the uh, two, two seasons out, they'll have, they'll have uh, 
the passageways and that's getting uh, calloused over. And then, so the whole thing, it's not like a smooth, like if the, the ash borer can't make uh, one passage, one way around the whole tree anymore because there's all these different steps from the various injuries. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So it's like, it's there's just a theory I have that doesn't, I mean, there's no backing to it, but I've sort of looked at that like, wow, you know, uh, ash borer on this tree would have a hard time to do what it did to a fresh virgin ash tree to yeah. actually wipe, cut all connection yeah. between the trunk and the tree, the, the leaves and the, the roots. I, the I, ash borer antibodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So are, I'm trying to uh, picture it. I love I love kind of theories that are you know just tree guys hanging out trying to figure it out. Yeah, observations. So are you thinking it's like channels of good uh, cambium? And so if the emerald ash borer is coming around, it hits a dead spot and then stops trying to girdle at that point. And then maybe there's another channel over here that allows the life to continue. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's sort of the, so so sort of thing. I've got you know it's a tree in particular on my block that um still looks really good and but if you look up closely at the bark there's all is you know there's a whole history of it fighting off ash borer for the past 15 years now uh, wow. even more really now it's so i mean that's the crazy thing to like ash ashes that are around and alive still making leaves and seeds um They've been dealing with ash borer for almost 20 years, 18. Wow. I think the first ash borer, this is 2002, 2003. And then it really started taking off in 2004, 2005. What's your approach to a tree that's been hit by the borer, but hasn't died? Um, just looking to promote vigor like you would with most things, you know, organic yeah, I mean, there's, and There's going to be a lot of uh, dead wood that you're going to take out of that tree. Um, and I think, I'm I'm usually on the side of, uh, you know, there's a lot of trees that are like on to, in decline, right? Silver maples, Norway maples, and to me, it's talking to the customer and like, well, what's your relationship to this tree? Um, do you still appreciate it? Do you? want to just put it out of its misery now i mean it could live another 10 years it could live another five years uh i don't it's i have i unless it's a threat to somebody um it's, it's like oh it's just got some suckers growing out of the base you still like it still got a good trunk on it yeah, yeah. um let's keep it let's just do it you know uh you know, when your dog gets to be 16, 17 years old or whatever, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of times people think of trees as like a, as a building or something, but other people look at their trees as like, that's a member of the family. That's I, I walk past that tree every day when I come home yeah. and I like that tree. So, and I'm sad that it's dying. So um but you know even if you get another two years out of it another three years so it's hard to say on the ash uh like yeah they they get to a point where they just they're almost people call them zombie trees but 
I don't know if it's still still making leaves and it's still giving you shade and it's not going to yeah. smack your house or your car. Let's just cut out the deadwood. And um, I don't think I would recommend necessarily injecting it or trying to, unless it's like a really phenomenal specimen that needs to be saved at all costs. But yeah. um, I don't usually recommend chemicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the for that sort of thing unless it's yeah you know certain trees certain elms and ashes that i've like oh you know this is definitely worth doing what we can to 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 save it sure um yeah we we deal with similar stuff here we're uh here the birches are getting destroyed by the bronze birch borer yeah and so yeah it's the same same conversation with clients where you know they really love the tree and they see it's half of it's dead and asking if you should remove it or not and it's like well how much do you like it do you are you do you want to keep investing into it or do you want to just rip the band-aid off and plant something there that's gonna uh that you Mm -hmm. know is going to be a lot healthier for a lot longer (laughs) yeah it's different for everybody you know who like Mm -hmm. I, they asked me what they should do. And it's like, what do you want to do? I mean, it's in your backyard. You look at it every day. It's, you know, that's your, your question to answer. <laughs> yeah. People ask me that. I'm like, what would you do if it was your tree? And I'm like, you should see my trees. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this silver maple in my backyard that is absolutely just horribly. Um, I mean, a full third of it is completely dead. Um, you know, it's got co-dominant stems. It's it's overhanging the power line. I just it's the ugliest tree ever. But at the same time, like it's got a whole array of birds that come yeah, in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, it's got an amazing trunk that's just like awesome to look at. And so, yeah, I don't know. Last, last. <laughs> like, oh, don't ask me about what to do with my tree. No, I'll probably just not do anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> We just did this willow last week, and Andrew and I worked together. Um, you tell the story because I showed up. As okay, yeah. Was happening. So, you know, we we pull up and talking with a client, walk into the backyard. It's this this beautiful old willow that we had. A, we had some big ice and snowstorms here, uh, probably about five years ago, and we're not used to getting big freezing rain and snow events here. So it just took out trees. And so there was oh, like wow. a lot of old topping cuts on this thing. Apparently it used to be just this massive tree that went over like a couple of yards and whatnot. But so we're walking back there and as I get it in the backyard, I like see this big bird flying around inside a pretty thick willow and it's kind of crazy. And so I look up and there's an owl, a barred owl and a big hawk that are in this tree messing with each other. <laughs> like, you know, just not like fighting, oh, no, but both a couple feet from each other and one it like mess with one and it mess back. And then all of a sudden these hummingbirds start flying around them and these songbirds come through the tree and then all like this murder of crows, like come into the tree and start mess. And it's just like, there was a bee nest in it and it's this crazy gnarly looking willow. And it was just the tree of life. It was like, what do you even do in this situation? There's oh, a whole so cool. ecosystem going on, you yeah. know? <laughs> it was cool. It was like a beacon of life. And the client was really cool. And like our work order was to get hazardous deadwood out of it, right? And yeah. kind of weight reduction because this thing was, you know, basically topped from the ice storm. So all these suckers yeah. and stuff. But 
she was totally receptive to us being like, yeah, this is a big chunk of deadwood, but look, it's, there's a hole in it. Something's living in there. Something's, you know, we totally just kept big stuff and made it like a habitat tree that it already was, you know, it was cool. It's always cool nice. when the clients are uh, yeah. open yeah. to that stuff. Our oh, crazy ideas. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, the client, uh, she's a shaman and her name oh. is, is Willow Hawk. So she was oh, just no like, way. yeah, she's like, this is a sign from the universe that you guys are meant to be working on this tree. And she uh, was, I mean, it, and it was a, there was a probably like three other plum trees growing out of like decay pockets in this willow. It was. Yeah. You did a little pruning on the plum. Yeah. I, I, I ornamentally awesome. pruned the plums for them so that they looked all uh, like put together in the canopy. <laughs> it was a pretty, wild. yeah, it was a pretty fun project. Yeah. The just because the tree is dead doesn't, you know, there's still life that goes on there. Oh yeah. Oh, so much. Yeah. So much. Yeah. I yeah. work in, uh, I, I work for the city now. So in urban forestry, you, you know, you kind of, when you zoom out and look at the trees as an overall forest, you know, I think that's one of the things people don't take into account nearly as much as I wish they would is that, the trees are just part of an urban forest, all the waterways yeah. and the critters that live within there also. And there's so many dimensions that, you know, a tree by itself isn't, you know, I mean, it's cool. It serves its purpose in your backyard, but trees are meant to be part of a community, you know, and like all, all the yeah. research that's coming out about how they communicate through the mycelium network by passing resources back and forth and warning each other that they're being attacked by, Mm -hmm. uh, insects or you know it, it's fascinating all that information that's coming out it's like the trees are singing to each other <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah it's really true that's, yeah. A, that's amazing yeah that it's you were telling us before we uh started recording that you just came back from you know thinking about all these birds in the trees and we're going to be having david anderson on soon you were uh you're just telling us about how you were in Central America or Colombia, was it? Yeah, Colombia. Yeah, yeah. What 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 did you have going on down there? So, um, David Anderson. Well, I guess um, I'm I had met uh, James Luce. Uh, gosh, it must have been six or seven years ago in Oregon. I I did a presentation at the Pacific Northwest chapter. Uh, and I went out with Damien Carre and James and Will Kumijan and yeah. climbed a big uh, Doug fir outside of um, Portland. Nice. Uh, you've probably been there. Um, but James had set up a line, a throw line, and, you know, it was one of, I think the first time I'd gone up over 200 feet in a tree. So it was really um my wife came and so I, you know, hung out with James uh, a good bit and we had talked and um, he told me about his explorations down in South America. Um, and I, I was an exchange student in Ecuador when I was in high school. So I have an interest in South America too. And so we, we chatted a lot about that. Um, and then, so uh him and David Anderson started this program. Um, I guess David met James and James taught, David had learned how to climb trees on his own. He was sort of autodidact 
figured it out um, how to get up into a tree and do his scientific studies. He was studying some birds in Honduras. And um, so he sort of jerry-rigged his own little technique. And then later he met James, who taught him how to climb like an arborist. And David was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Um, I've got to teach all the biologists how to do this. And so him and James started this program basically to teach uh, rainforest biologists in Latin America how to access the canopy. So, uh, and using modern arboricultural techniques. And um, for the past, I don't know, I guess it was, um, this was the fifth one. And uh, I think, so the, Third and the fourth one, I uh, donated a bunch of rope wrenches for the thing. I was like, oh, that's a great thing that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I donated a bunch of rope wrenches and like, whatever you need for me, for me to help out, that's awesome. Um, and then, uh, you know, 2020 was canceled because of the pandemic. And uh, then James had his accident. Um, he had a horrible mountain biking accident and, uh, passed away. And, um, I guess he, you know, he broke his neck and was paralyzed. So he was able to communicate, um, you know, take care of business for a month or so before he actually decided to, to leave this world. And um, one of the things was to figure out what was going to happen with the accessing the canopy, uh, discovering the canopy. And he thought that maybe David should invite me to go uh, along for the trip. And he remembered that I, you know, spoke Spanish a little bit. And, um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of the way it, uh, I ended up getting on board uh, with the with the trip. Um and it was really interesting, you know, it was, this was the first year that it was done without James and James was a huge part of that. Uh, uh, you know, he was an excellent teacher. Um, I remember when going out to the Doug Furs, like he really was patient and helped my wife get up in the tree and um, just made sure he was very made sure everything went smoothly with, you know, there's a bunch of us going out there um so yeah he was it was a hard kind of hard shoes to step into um and you know the first year it was david and james and then they added patrick brant he's from north carolina um and then this year or no i guess emmett um he's he's also out in seattle somewhere um but then noel and myself uh so it was five people this year. Um, and it was really, I mean, it was a great trip. Uh, Noel is an amazing teacher. He, you know, he's completely uh, bilingual, which was very helpful. You know, uh, my Spanish is somewhat limited and uh, David speaks very good Spanish. He's been going back and forth for years and years. Um, really, really fun. And it was also, great to be on the other on just a different side of arboriculture um or you know what's 
what's the reason for going up in these trees and the, the reason instead of like making cuts or doing anything to the tree it's to you know like discover what's up there and um in the amazon there's just so much stuff up in the tree it's really wild different kinds of ants and bees and birds um and yeah going with you know it was really a special experience too climbing these trees and being able to share my tree climbing skills with these biologists who were really really intelligent people as far as what was going on up in the tree like what kind of orchid this was and what kind of uh, bromeliads and oh look at that bird over there i didn't even see that bird but here's there's a bird over there and this bird likes to eat this insect and i just it was really fascinating and basically uh a beautiful bunch of nerds and <laughs> like just so in-depth knowledge i mean they're young young too like uh between undergraduate and graduate school um and so yeah when it was you know we were at a eco resort in colombia which was i mean it's sort of it's always sad going to something like where we went because it's like the last i don't know maybe thousand acres and then you look outside of the eco reserve and it's all cattle ranches and um mining operations and yeah <laughs> Yeah. But then it's also like, wow, this is really important. We're trying to figure out at least what's here and what we're losing. Yeah. Um, so fast. Yeah. Um, that human so, impact is so sad when you go to a place where it becomes so obvious, you know, it's, uh, but like you say, it's, it makes it that much more important to get into those places and see what's in there and see what, uh, yeah. I mean, I, so, likewise, flying over flying over Oregon, you realize the impact of. I'm, I'm going to get my charger really quick. I'm really sure. Yeah, no, no worries. <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing the the logging that has happened in Oregon and the uh, the impact on our forest. We, I mean, we've got an amazing forest here, at, uh, you know, but. Like you say, yeah. when you fly over, it's just checkerboard of these big logging operations, you know, and really even even a lot, the vast majority of the forest is uh, second, third growth. You know, it, there's the the amount of actual old growth is pretty small. Yeah. Yeah, flying back from Columbia um, uh, was really. I'm having a hard time hearing you there. Sorry, is that better? Uh, it it sounds kind of heliumy. Yeah, yeah. I, Let me see if I can. Hold on real quick. Yeah, no worries. No, take your time. If I... Well, it sounds like a tribute trip as well. Your Columbia journey. Yeah, you know what a what a great thing to honor your friend and see his dreams through. Did you guys uh, ever meet James? Uh, I I can't say that I knew him real well. You know, going to like competitions and conferences in the Pacific Northwest. You know, he was 
he was definitely a personality in the community here. So I knew of him, but I, you know, can't say that I was uh, uh, close with him or really knew him that well. But when, when he got in his accident and uh, passed away, it was, you know, the amount of people I knew that were sharing stories of him and photos of him, just, just that reaction had an impact of like, Oh my goodness, we just, lost a, a really powerful member of the community and every article i've read by him it, like it took me a while because it was always j-a-m-z like jams yeah and i was like who's this guy jams loose like what a cool like <laughs> you know, he must be like a, a freestyle jams, rapper on yeah. the side and like is that just how he actually spells his name like you know James i don't know i only met him is that like one time ego? in the pacific northwest and you know we communicated a little bit about the rope wrenches and stuff. But yeah, I always wondered the same thing. Like, yeah. oh, right on. is it James? But people uh, just refer to him as James. So, yeah. Just... The audio is still really uh, kind of tinny. I don't, it, it sounds uh, like it's covered up or something. I don't know if there's a case on your phone or. Is that better? No. Uh, That's good. Yeah, I mean it, it's not where it was, but if that's if that's what it is, then that's what we got. <laughs> we'll make it work. Yeah, I'm wondering if the battery is just getting was getting low, and now it's something along those lines. It sounds good. It sounds fine. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Perfect. Do you uh, do you have any other trips uh, down south planned? It's a once a year thing. So right? yeah, I right after. Um, uh, I think we went to Columbia in August, and then at the beginning of last month, I went down with Noel to Mexico, and we did a a week long climbing climbing training for the um for a it's a like trigger it's La Casa de Arborista, and they sell they're just like a tree stuff in in Mexico. Oh, cool. Okay, so. Um, and that was a, for, for climbers and, um, it was really cool too, because it's definitely, um, a really growing, uh, industry, great community as well. So kind of interesting to be on the, the seeing all these young climbers coming up and getting really excited about it and. That was that was that was really fun. Yeah, where at in Mexico? So it was about an hour and a half outside of Mexico City, okay. um, and in a really beautiful place. It was like a Boy Scout camp. Um, they had little cabins we all stayed in, and um, great trees, variety of people. Some people that were actual like full full on climbers, and then uh, several people that were wanting to be climbers. So. Um, and then Noel is just a great teacher. So he, I, I went down with Noel. So it was me and Noel on this trip. And uh, I'm not sure if that's going to turn into more more opportunities. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going down to the um, in March. There's the Mexican Tree Climbing Championship. Okay. Um, and I'm hoping to go and, and participate in that and some, you know, volunteer Sweet. climber, whatever too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. It's, uh, one of my first, ex- when I was, 
in high school, we went down to Costa Rica, and I've told the story on the podcast before, so if you've heard it already, I'm sorry. But we uh, we were in Monte Verde, Costa Rica, which is uh, uh-huh. where they do a lot of the canopy research down there. And, yeah. And so, like, as a group, we were hiking through the woods, and I just there was this giant strangle fig. And I just, like, kind of went into the middle of it and started climbing up and uh, – just started climbing and climbing up through the center of this tree. It was a real trippy kind of experience, oh, you wow. know, because you could like look down and it was like looking down this tunnel, but there was all these, you know, vines that would come out were these perfect handholds. And so I just kind of went up until it opened up at the top and I was like at the top of the canopy. And it was one of those kind of, I don't know how tall it was, but it like might as well have been 300 feet tall. You know, it just blew my wow. mind when I got to the top and you're at the top of this you know, legitimate rainforest canopy. And that's, that was always one of those, uh, one of those moments in my, uh, life where I was like, Oh, yep. Climbing trees is one of those things I do now. It just, you know, I'm in a whole different world (laughs) and yeah. Like, so I, I just love the idea of climbing in those, uh, rainforest kind of jungle environments. Uh, you know, that's kind of on my bucket list to make it back down there and climb in, in a forest like that. Again, I've been on a couple zip lines in Costa Rica and places like that since then where you're zip lining, which is pretty, you know, is similar, but it's not really the same thing. You know, you're not sitting in in, like experiencing the environment on a zip line. You're like flying through it, you know, like (laughs) there we go. And now I'm back on a platform, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. How was that down climb? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Harder than going up. Yeah, no, I I don't remember it being an issue at all. I mean, cool. the uh, the chaperones were freaking out, <laughs> you know. But it was it was like a ladder. It was just like these little perfect handholds and footholds. So you just kind of like climb a ladder up. And I've always kind of had that monkey gene in me, so awesome. it kind of is what it is. <laughs> that's wild! Wow, yeah. that yeah. would be really cool. Yeah, it's a trip. I need to make it back to Monteverde. <laughs> so, should we talk about climbing? Yeah, yeah. Have you talked on a podcast at all about the development of the Rope Runner Pro? Um, no, not so much. I, I guess um, like when I was doing the Educated Climber, that was just coming out. I think. Okay. Um, yeah, you talked about how it was. You had been talking with Rock Exotica about working on a device, and then that mm-hmm. kind of fell through. And it was, uh, it was just like, "Hey, we're working on something, and hopefully, we'll have another version of this." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, tree stuff I sold or whatever uh, the tree, the the rope runner to tree stuff. And then Tree Stuff tried to sell it to Rock Exotica. But while that was going on, Cheryl bought Tree Stuff and Cheryl started Notch. And then so they pulled it out of Rock Exotica, which was also at the same time developing the Kimbo. Um, So it seemed like maybe there wasn't space at Rock Exotica to do it and there wasn't the willpower or whatever. So... I was kind of wondering if the Akimbo, if there was part of maybe an original design of the Rope Runner Pro in the Akimbo, if there was some kind of crossover there. Or... Um, 
Not so much. I think, you know, they obviously come from similar roots. Yeah. Um, and, you know, shared a lot of the same, same characteristics. Uh, I think one of the ideas with the Rope Runner Pro, the biggest complaints about the original Rope Runner was like it comes apart into three different pieces. So, you know, that was the main driving factor on the Rope Runner Pro was to to get it into all uh, one piece. Um, and, you know, it was Notch put a team of engineers on it. Uh, they definitely put more effort into it than I think Rock Exotica had put into. Did you guys ever see the Rock Exotica prototypes? They made like seven or eight of them. No, I never saw it. No, no. I didn't. Oh yeah, they were pretty cool. They were interesting. Um, very similar to what uh, the Rock the the Rope Runner Pro. Um, you know, a few different things. I think Notch took it in a little slightly different direction especially on the bottom bottom part mm -hmm. but um pretty similar all-around idea i mean not too much changed from the original i guess the main thing was trying to get it down into one one piece um and you know it's got stainless steel as opposed to aluminum um and yeah, I think one of the big differences is that little teardrop at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, so it's got an extra, it's got another slick pin, but you also don't have to take it off your harness. Um, so, yeah, and I guess that's been now out for about almost a year and a half since the first one was came out. I think it was last March or February. So were you in the development process or it was like they bought it, they put their engineers on it. Were they like, Hey, Kevin, check this out. What do you think? Like along the way? Yeah, no, I, I definitely was involved. Um, I think I was not the lead on it by any means, but they, they kept me abreast of everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, they sent me runners that I took apart and, um, changed around and, you know, some of them, they sent me one that was like absolutely enormous, this huge one. I was like, no, that's not going to work. It's <laughs> um, too big. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, it was definitely a collaboration. Um, uh, you know, I've been pretty happy about with it. Uh, I'm, you know, the last couple weeks have been a little bit concerning uh regarding the spring yeah. um has there's been some some reported failures um so that's been really like you know keeping me awake at night a little bit thinking about what what's going to happen with that uh so far we've gotten six uh or notch has received six faulty springs um and uh yeah haven't quite identified ex there's possibly a correlation between the size of the spring like uh you know there's different tolerances when the springs come off the line 
Um, so, uh, but there's been no, well, it's hard to say too, because there's been only six that yeah, they've actually yeah. have in hand. Um, and that's out of 6,000. Um, so getting, you know, and also four of those were one, one customer. Uh, so four of the six were, at, were from one customer. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Two, two have come in from, um, you know, one just came in a couple days ago. So there was five. And then uh, those three from that one customer went in June. And then he had another one. He, I mean, he works at a company. And so they've got like, you know, 12, they bought 12 of them. Mm-hmm. But four of them out of four out of the twelve went bad on him, um, and then uh, they've received a couple more. Um, then they put out a safety notice on Thursday, uh, and they said they've gotten some phone calls. So maybe we'll see some more come in. Um, yeah, it's a matter of you know not. It's, it's 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 a tricky thing. I mean, the original rope runner had um, at the, the beginning had a bunch of spring issues too. I don't know if you guys were aware. There was like a whole batch of them that were made where the spring was put on backwards. Oh man! Oh, um, yeah. And then actually, the spring worked mm-hmm. fine. Um, in that configuration, like it did its job, but it also, there's that little, uh, uh, screw that was holding the spring in. Yeah. And because it was put on backwards, it actually unscrewed the screw. Oh, interesting. And so the, the screw would pop out and then this, the whole thing would, this whole spring would, um, fail. Um, so that was like a huge nightmare at the beginning of the rope runner project. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they cmi kind of redid things and loctited things and um that seemed to be resolved for the most part um but yeah i mean the rope runner is definitely like it's got so many moving parts and sometimes i just think you know maybe it's just better off sticking with a hitch (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) Like, I love climbing with my rope runner. I really do. Um, But. Yeah, I had that. Yeah, and I never imagined, like, the rope runner, the original rope runner, I think we sold uh, around over the whole life. That's since 2014. I think we've sold about 6,000 original rope runners. Okay. Um, but the Rope Runner Pro sold six thousand in a year and a half, sure. you know. And that's it's like, oh my gosh, how many how are there many that many people out there? How many that many climbers? <laughs> um yeah. I remember I put I did on the rope runner, the original rope runner had like a uh you know, I had thought about doing it myself. This is even before tree stuff kind of took over. And I, I was making them in Detroit. I was assembling them in Detroit. And I had a um, party, sort of like a coming out party for the rope runner. And um, actually, 
Uh, probably about 20 different people came. Lawrence Schultz came. Uh, and Casey Sellner came. Uh, a bunch of, bunch of people came from around. Um, and Johnny Pro came. And I had not met John, Johnny Pro. You, you know Johnny Pro from Zali? Uh, I don't. Um, you can look up his videos. He's done some really crazy rope runner videos. Okay. Um, he's kind of got a name for being pretty crazy. Anyway, he came out uh, and he, young guy, early 20s. And, you know, he jumped up on a rope runner and like just went flying up the tree, like jumping, like totally wild, crazy guy. I'm like, oh, shit, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's been, <laughs> I worry about it all the time. Ever since then, I've been like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Uh, putting this rope runner out here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, I get a great pleasure climbing on it. Um, it's great to climb on. I, I I've got, mine. uh, the rope runner pro and uh, I'm not a big mechanical hitch person to be honest with you. Uh, but, uh, working really working with Jamie, he, you know, he was talking about how much he loved his rope runner. And then when the rope runner pro came out, I was like, all right, well, you know, what? I'll give it a shot. I don't want to be too kind of old guy refuse to try something new. And so I started climbing with it and right away started climbing with it kind of quite a bit. Oh, and now kinda... I go back and forth between the rope runner pro and yeah, Oh, uh, I was saying I, uh, I go back and forth when I'm on single rope between the rope runner pro and I got the, uh, the notch fusion and I've really enjoyed kind okay. of when I'm climbing with the friction hitch, having that, that, uh, fusion on there and the way it works I've enjoyed. And that's kind of got me back on working with hitches, but, uh, yeah, I've, you know, it's, it's interesting. I rem when did you, Listening to that podcast you did, I think our timelines of uh, kind of climbing were were pretty close. Because if I remember right, you were ninety seven. You started climbing trees. Yeah, pretty much ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, I, so I started in ninety eight, and I was real lucky. I uh, the my my comp my family owned the company I was working for, and it was a real progressive company. You know, going to the ISA events, and uh, do you know Scott Altenhoff? The name sounds familiar, but I don't know him, no. He, he's worked with Steve Sillett uh, back, you know, when Steve Sillett okay. was first climbing the Redwoods. He was doing single rope with S Steve then, and he came and worked for our company probably in, like, 2002. And so, like, he showed us all these okay. single rope tricks then, but we were, you know, it was kind of like you are saying on that podcast. You'd go up, you, you know, you'd ascend up with a couple of senders, and then you'd get on to a Grigri or something. And I just couldn't get used to working right. on a Grigri, you know, I just, so I just go up and then switch over to double rope and work the tree off a of double rope. But then it must've been, I'm thinking 2006, maybe that I was at a competition. Actually, no, it was later than that. It was 2009, uh, uh, where somebody showed up. I can't even remember who it was, but they showed that if you took a, a ring and you ran the like over your friction hitch, you took the like just an aluminum ring, you pull the rope through it, and then put a carabiner on there to keep the friction. And then on that carabiner, yeah. you have a strap that goes back, 
And so I'd climb around on that. But without this stiff tether there, it just became annoying trying to tend the slack and pull the rope up through that ring yeah. carabiner. So I, I climbed with it for a little while, but it was like, there's something here, but I just, my mind wasn't wrapping around it, you know? And yeah. like, I don't know. I, I just, as soon as I, that rope wrench came out, it was such a big, like quantum shift of the way I was thinking about climbing with it. You know, it, that was just great, man. It changed the industry. It really did. Like not many people can say they had that effect. That's, that's just awesome. I guess. Yeah, thank you. A, <laughs> hard to wrap my head around too. Uh, but you know, when I first thought of the wrench, like I knew it, like I had no doubt that it would, you know, that's the kind of the crazy thing about that uh, episode. It was like such a, you know, I, it was so clear that oh my gosh this is gonna have a big effect yeah. um people are people are gonna actually climb on this <laughs> so you know I, I and i'm yeah i'm glad you like that notch tether i i've been really enjoying that that uh that stiff tether as well i um you know it's interesting i played around a bit with the stiff tether at the beginning but it never really clicked i think we didn't really have the spring mechanism working right and you know the soft textile tether is really nice and it's comfortable to work with but if you, if you get that stiff tether right it's really good i think the notch tether can be improved still some too it's a little bit bulky yeah. but i've been really enjoying climbing with that as well yeah no i would agree with that sometimes when you're in tight spots it can be kind of mm -hmm. weird moving around the branches but uh, you know, it, it's definitely a step up from, uh, I, we, it's funny. We had, uh, aluminum tethers. I, I want to say probably eight years ago or something at the company I was working for. Oh, you got a, oh, no way. You got a machine. Yeah. Out, we, we got a machined out. Um, we had somebody that came to our company. I can't remember where Eric came from somewhere on the East coast, I think. But, uh, okay. and he, he was talking about them and how he, he had one. And so we just took it to a machine shop and made a bunch of them. And I don't know why I didn't stick with it. I, I got to admit, I, I love double rope as well. So I think I, you know, go back and forth yeah. so much that, you know, if I'll, I'll, it kind of comes in waves, you know, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll go back to like climbing up on like, well, and also it's when, you know, when I was training for a competition, I would start footlocking a lot if I was training for a competition. And so then I would just start working the tree double rope. Cause I'd kind of go old school climbing styles to get ready, Yeah, you know, and then, and then I would, and then I just forgot about it and didn't pick up the, the stiff tether again for whatever, you know, just cause I guess I wasn't thinking about it enough. Well, I know? think that's one of the big downsides of that notch tether. When you, when you come to think of it, it needs a, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be able to switch over to moving rope. Yeah, that was my biggest issue with it. Yeah. yeah. I don't use it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it can be done. I feel like that's, it's sort of a, um, yeah, they, they, they missed, they missed the, missed the mark on that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it does work well. well if you don't it, switch over. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've found I'll carry, uh, just a, a carabiner and a pull you know, just a little petzel pulley on the back of my harness. That way, if I want to switch over, I'll just hang the fusion on the back of the harness and, you know, switch it around. Bang. 
but it's yeah. it's just another step you got to take and if there is a way to just mm-hmm. detach it or i don't know it should be it should should be just one click ideally it should just be a quick click yeah um and i think that's that's doable it it'll um, get there it, you know like you were saying in that other podcast it's the uh the necessity is the mother of the invention you know it was like you just you had this need and so you figured it out which which kind of also makes me think um where do you see in the industry and tree work where we're at right now what do you think that necessity is that needs to be figured out like is there something out there you think that uh you know cuz at that time at least for me in my little bubble that was something that was you know we were trying to figure out single rope and there was this thing, like I said, I had this weird carabiner through a loop and it kind of worked and you knew there was something there. Is there something like that these days for you that you're, you're trying to figure out or is you think somebody should be trying to figure out? He's not going to tell us. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I do, th- I do think, um, you know, there's definitely a better mechanical out there. I think, all of the top uh, action uh, multi-senders, the unisender, the akimbo, the bulldog bone, the rope runner, um, they're all lacking, I think, in the safety department. Um, Just the inherent nature of them being able to go to full open on a press of the top. You know, um, the zigzag can kind of fall into that market or fall into that line where it's, you know, it requires a spring. It can be something can disactivate it. There's no. So I think a better mechanical that's easy to use, but maybe more integrated to. um, Well, let's take all the boxes, you know, it's. I personally would like it midline attachable. Um, I would like it to have maybe a anti-panic feature um, where, you know, basically it's also protected from some way of branches falling down on it or, you you know, clipping it under your care tool. Um, that was a recent accident with a Kimbo that just, you know, earlier this summer, somebody's went behind their back and clipped into the care tool. Um, and you know, that, that can happen on any of those big top devices, uh, falling on top of it, getting tangled in your clothes. I think, you know, the ID and the Taz love is, you know, maybe there, but that's, it's, they're a little bit hard to use. Um, so getting, you know, and you have to have two hands on it at all times. Um, they're really jumpy. So I think there's definitely room for a perfected, safer, um, multi-sender. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that can go back and forth between SRT moving rope smoothly. Um, you know, it's definitely when you start thinking about it too hard, it's like, Oh, it's just hard to beat a hitch because a hitch a hitch is just it's so light. It's, 
so versatile, um, but you know, I think I think there is there is potentially a a mechanical out there that does it all. Yeah, I I love the feeling of a hitch, and maybe it's just because I've climbed on one so long that I trust that feeling, but. You know, they're not jumpy if you get them right. You can kind of adjust it for how the rope is, depending on, you know, how if you give it a little extra twist before you clip it to your carabiner or how many wraps you got on. You know, it's a, kind of versatile that way. So that's why, I don't know. That, I think that's why I like the Fusion because in my mind, it's the best of both worlds. It's got that rope wrench on it. It's got that feel, that, that you know, but you also got, like I said, yeah. the, the feel of the hitch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But again, I... I, I also don't want to get too caught in that, you know, oh, this is what I've always used, so I'm just going to use it because that's a trap that I think is dangerous to get caught into. <laughs> it's the tending that's right. so enticing about mechanical stuff. Like the rope yeah. just falls right through it, you know. And you could you could find a hitch and rope that matches and it's super dialed in and it. I've had it where I'm tied a hitch and I'm in a moving rope system. It's just falling through there, you know, and then activates or whatever, but that can change throughout your climb. Yeah, totally. So that's, what's nice about mechanicals. That's, yeah, no, I would fully yeah, agree. You get that hitch that's working like a mechanical, but then you know, like, Oh, I've got to like actually manually set this every time I want to sit yeah. back in it. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And, like, there, and there's a little bit of a drop where a mechanical device is catching you instantly. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of yeah. a sit back, I guess is That's a better back, word yeah. than a drop. Yeah. So it's funny. I like such, those are such minor, like shitty complaints about a hit, but I love <laughs> mechanicals because of those little, little complaints. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're great. Yeah. Like, you know, the zigzag or, you know, the rope runner or the, those are really the ones that no, I've used the Unisender quite a bit also. I got the the Unisender quite a while ago, but I I used it very uh sparingly. It was mainly, you know, if I was if it was like a fur, if I'm just going up and down and I just, you know, makes it really easy. I I never really got into mm-hmm. the Unicenter if I was in a big broad spreading tree where I was doing these limb walks. Yeah. Um Yeah, I love the rope yeah. runner pro clicking uh the chest tender. And then just free climbing the tree. The rope just falls through and you're just climbing like a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that's hard to go back to something else after doing that. Yeah. The Unicenter is is amazing. And so the thing about the Unicenter is like it's been around since two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that recently that that came out before the rope wrench and that kind of Oh wait. yeah. I mean I think I knew about the Unicenter and wanted one badly, but at that point you know, they were $500 and yeah. like, that was like, out, out of this world. One of the interesting things about the Unicenter is, um, so Morgan, he's, uh, does a lot of crane work. And, uh, so he doesn't climb SRT very much at all. Like, and he designed the Unicenter because he was toasting his hitches doing crane work, which is a big problem doing crane work. Um, so he wanted a mechanical, so he wouldn't be burning up his hitches. hitches. So he made the Unisender, um, but he made it for double rope climbing. And it was sort of accidental. I don't even know if he was the person that discovered that it worked SRT, if you could take a wrap around it. But yeah. it was discovered after the fact that it works great SRT. 
Oh, it would. And it actually, in my opinion, works way better SRT than it does in a moving rope. <laughs> yeah, no, that's how but, I always use. I'd, I'd yeah. use it as my top ascender, and then I, you know, advance up the tree, and then just clip it down onto my waist, and then be able to descend. Or you know, if you're doing a removal and tying mm-hmm. into something behind you, having that is just is perfect. But like you say, the first time I saw it was uh, at a tree climbing rendezvous in Grants Pass in, I think it was 2006 and Tom Dunlop was there showing off all the latest and greatest of single rope tricks. And he had the unisender and I was sold until he said it was $600. And then I was like, well, we'll, we'll see till that price comes down. (laughs) Right on. I've never really climbed on one. I think that's interesting as far as the change in the tree climbing world now too, like, yeah, I would. I don't. I mean, maybe me, but I would be much more likely to buy a six hundred dollar climbing device now than yeah in two thousand five. Yeah, now I feel like I just spent so much. Oh, the latest pulley, the latest block. Hey, what's up? Um, I don't know. I just to you know, I don't know if it's bedtime there or not. What's going on? But uh, yeah, it's getting towards bedtime. We gotta get them all teeth brushed and. Yeah, I understand how that up. goes. Luckily, my uh, my little ones are at grandma's house right now, so that that opens up a little room for me to not have to worry about that. But uh, when bedtime comes calling, that's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's a not a school night anymore. Yeah, yeah. The weekend is here. Oh, thank goodness. Um, Usually we wrap these things up with some kind of final thoughts on the podcast. I don't know if you've uh, got any final thoughts. We usually go around and uh, then we'll just uh, wrap it up real quick if that sounds good to you. Yeah, sounds great. Sweet. Uh, Jamie, you got any final thoughts? Um, Just thanks for uh, tinkering and coming up with the stuff you have. Um, when I first was given a rope wrench and like being taught single rope, I was like, I hate this. This is awful. (laughs) (laughs) This thing's stuck on my chest. Like, this is so weird. How can I advance the base tie? It just wasn't, wasn't about it. Then I did my first tree climbing competition and I just saw, you know, the best climbers out there were doing this. I was like, okay, there's something to this. So I forced myself to do it. And now I, I love, I love single rope. You know, I love them both doing both. But the rope wrench, you know, made all that possible. So, like, thanks, thanks for uh, tinkering, figuring that out. I'm a huge fan. I have the OG Rope Runner and the Rope Runner Pro. Um, love them. Use them all the time. So, thanks, Kevin. Wow. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'll kind of echo what Jamie said. Like, I came up in a time where the, the rope wrench was already there, and I saw people doing it that were my mentors. And I was like, that's that they make it look pretty easy but when i got on it i was like well well yeah i can't move my my canopy anchor around like what this is yeah I, i'm uh, i get into a lot of trouble with this thing um by the time i got it you know i'd be lucky enough that um to come up in a time where it's it's normal now um, yeah. but yeah thanks man like i just pruned a crab apple yesterday with my rope wrench yeah, that was awesome. Um, so I, I climb with the, I'm ride or die rope wrench every single day, no matter what. I, I use it every single day. It's like my favorite thing in the world. So thanks. You got any? Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it means a lot. It means a lot. And um, yeah, I think it's, you know, what you guys are doing and 
just talking about the industry. I think that's really, really important. I think we all get kind of get kind of stuck in our little little worlds, mm-hmm. and so people, you know, opening it up a little bit, being able to hear stories, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it it's uh, so important. We. We started doing this because we were missing that during the pandemic. We didn't have any the conventions, and we felt disconnected from the arborist community. So we thought we'd try to try to build it and keep it going in the uh, in the best way we could. While the Zoom world, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, um, you know, they did have the TCIA this year. I didn't go, um, so I haven't been in two years. I went to those things every year. Yeah, it's been been weird the last couple of years not having having those normal normal things. Yeah, yeah, no, it it's no good. I I want to go to. It's been a while since I've been to one, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'll be at one soon. <laughs> hopefully, we see you there soon. <laughs> um, do you have any other final thoughts? Um, well, just stay safe out there. And- Keep an eye on your hitches and your rope runners. Mm-hmm. Don't make sure they're engaging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was that was super uh, interesting to hear you say you lost a lot of sleep about you know everybody using your your products because I just gave my apprentice a rope wrench for the first first time. You know he's learned double rope and yeah. everything, and I I was like, oh my gosh, what was that a good idea? <laughs> 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 so I started thinking. Of, so that's interesting. I came. Uh, I you got a real strong head, and you know, thanks for moving forward with all that. Uh, the innovation. It it just takes a lot of guts, um, but everyone is over the moon thankful for it. So thanks, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. I'd say my final thoughts are just uh, the same thing these guys are said. So I'm just going to say thank you. It's uh, awesome to. Uh, I don't know, to have such a big impact on the industry, man, that is really cool. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to think about it and then not just think about it, but make it happen. You know, that that's the other part that I, a lot of people have a lot of good ideas and, you know, so thank you. And uh, with that, I'll say stay safe and uh, yeah, make it happen. <laughs> thanks, right. thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Good to you guys. Yeah, you yeah. too. Thank you. See ya. Yep. Peace. Yep, take care.